I'm so glad that everybody's here. Amen. I'm grateful, of course, for the opportunity to be able to share God's word today with you. I want to thank the worship team for their commitment to continue to use their gifts to honor God. Amen. Amen. There are 8,766 hours in a year. By the end of today, you would have used up 110. My question to you is how many have you used with internal implications? 110 have gone by already, and I'm asking a simple question. How many of them have you used already to glorify God, to honor God, to live for God, to put aside your agenda and to begin to trust him with this new year. What I love the most about a new year is an opportunity to try it again. An opportunity to do it anew and to begin to learn from what we have messed up the previous year and hopefully be able to move forward and begin to trust God even at a greater level and go deeper and further so that God can be glorified in our lives. But it's so profound for you to hear that, to realize that there are so many hours in a year and there is no time to waste. There's no time for us to continue to dwell or think about the past because the past is where it belongs, in the past. But we cannot embrace our present or walk into our future stumbling over our past. It's important for us to begin to turn the page on what has happened, and begin to trust God in this new year. So I want to encourage you to realize that in the midst of everything that goes on today, there is one thing that I want to do, and I want to lead you to communion. It's the first Sunday of every month, and if you've walked in, you should have one of these. And if you've done, there are several reasons why you do not. First, you probably miss the host coming in, and you don't have one. And at the end, hopefully, we'll rectify that. The other reason may be because you have been in the Lord a little bit and you realize the solemnness of the moment and still you may be dibbing and dabbing in an area in your life where you don't feel worthy of communion. And that concerns me. And I'm hoping that by the end of this service, that would change as well. The other one could be that you don't know the Lord and you don't even understand what communion is. And hopefully by the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and no to this world and take part in communion as well. But I want to encourage you to realize that to sit at the table of the Lord is to partake in not only his life, his suffering, but also his power. There is power in the name of Jesus to be able to overcome and to be more than conquerors. It doesn't mean that we will not suffer. Somehow there's this Christianity and not in this church because we can all raise our hands to attest to the fact that we've been squeezed and pulled and tugged and dabbed a little bit in the last year. But in the midst of it all, we're still here. Because we're still here, I want to encourage you to realize that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to realize that if Jesus has set you free, you are free indeed. But there's a profound statement in the Bible in which Jesus has an encounter with someone who has been living a particular lifestyle, and then he has an encounter with him, and he says, go and sin no more. I think somewhere along the way we lose sight of that and we have to begin to realize that those are very profound statements. It doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble. It just means do not go intentionally seeking to act out in that particular area of your life. That's why it's so important for us to be able to turn the page on whatever's happened in the past. I want to encourage you, as we normally do in this church, we stand at the reading of the word so we can just stand and we can get into God's word. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to do that. I don't know if it's been announced, but I think that's somebody's phone going off. Sounds good. But it's uh, it's not a place for it here, so let's silence our phones, please. 
I hope that in the next 30 minutes you would give me your uninvited attention. God wants to speak something into your life because I personally believe that a lot of us are still stuck in a particular area and we need to be free from that area. The word is found in your bulletins also on the screen behind me. It's found in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 to 14 as it is custom we read together so we can in a very loud voice so those who are walking along the sidewalk here would hear us and be drawn into this place. So let's read it together. One, two, three. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. One thing about the new year is that, again, we have an opportunity to new things, to new beginnings. And so apropos that the last sermon series that we heard was about change and where change happens and how change can happen and who should change and how it is necessary for us to change. Last week, if you were here for New Year's Eve as well, you saw some people share their lives and how their lives had changed. And also you've heard living the dream and how important it is for us to realize that a dream is this preferred view of what I would like the future to look like. I don't know about you, but had a great deal of dreams. I wanted to, um, and, and please, you can laugh, but I would prefer you wouldn't because I'm very sensitive about it. I wanted to be a cowboy, you know, and run around with my little wooden horse between my legs, you know, the one with the head on it. Anybody remember that? I'm the only one. I'm, that's how old I am. But we used to have these silver pistols and this wooden horse that had nobody, just the head. Right? And it was like, you know, this little stick, and everybody just galloped around, and it seemed like you were riding a horse. I realize that sometimes our dreams, because of what has happened, die. And they wind up going down the wayside. But there's something about this scripture that I want to be able to go through. I want to be able to talk about the lessons we can extract from it, but also what are the things we need to turn a page on. And the writer of this particular text is not someone who hasn't had a difficult life or hasn't struggled with his life. Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul, and what Saul did was he persecuted Christians. If Saul and we were living at the time that he was living, we'd be in extreme danger right about now. The thing about Saul is that he didn't realize what he was doing except that he had letters from the uh, religious people of the time to do this. And he believed in his mind, listen to this, he believed that what he was doing was right. And many of us often feel as if what we're doing is right. And we go through life doing what we think is right, not realizing that it is wrong. You see, it's documented that Paul, when he was Saul, when he had that road to Damascus experience, and that's a sermon for another day, we need to have that road to Damascus experience. We need to have that moment where God chops our legs out from under us, strips us of our pride, and say, why do you persecute me? Why do you do wrong to me when I've done nothing but right to you? Paul had that experience. So it's important for us to understand that the writer of this particular text here wasn't a person that didn't have a difficult past. And in fact, he had such a difficult past that he was ashamed of it. 
In fact, he considered it all to be uh, worthless. The word in the Bible sometimes is dung, and dung is not a good word that we will use, but it's, it's a word that indicates that everything I've done, everything that I've experienced, everything that I've had, I consider it now to be worthless in light of Christ. And I think it's so important for us in this church, and as if you're here, that you understand that the most important thing you can do is live for Jesus. There's nothing else. That song about Jesus being at the center is so profound because I think at the very center of our lives, anatomically, is our heart. And if our heart is not for God, then it'll be for a bunch of other things, especially the hurts in our lives. The new year allows us to be able to grab a hold. And if you were here in New Year's, you heard the vision. And I want to encourage you that if we have to add to anything, then we're really subtracting, especially when it comes to the Word of God. We don't have to add anything. We don't have to have any gimmicks or any programs. All we have to do is preach the Word and live out the Word, and God will be glorified. It's so important for us to stay away from gimmicks and programs and and anything that's going to appeal and tickle people because they'll come stay for a little while and then they'll leave. The Word is what's going to keep us. It's what kept everybody in the midst of their pain and struggles throughout the Bible. It's when people found themselves at wit's end. It was the word that kept them. That was the anchor to their soul. That's what they stood on. And that's what God backs up is his word. So I want to encourage everyone to realize that in the midst of everything that goes on, it's the word that's going to keep you. And if you have no word in you when the enemy comes, oh yeah, and he will come. He will come. And sometimes he comes as a friend, come on now, I don't want to say amen to that. Sometimes he shows up as a friend trying to discourage you from doing what God has called you to do. Now the important thing is, have you heard from God? Because a man or woman who has heard from God is undeterred. Nothing is going to keep me from doing what I need to do for the Lord. I'm going to do it here or I'm going to do it in Alaska, but I'm going to do it unto the Lord. Amen. I don't know why Alaska, I just, just came to me just now. It's really important for us, and I want to be able to look at this text a little further. The NIV reads this way. It won't be on the screen because it's the NIV. What you saw on the screen was the ESAV. It says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold. Hold on to that right there. Somebody said, take hold. Of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, pause there for a moment, because I want you to get a picture in your head. I grew up here in Williamsburg in Brooklyn in McCarrion Park, McCarrion Pool. Anybody remember it besides me? Amen. Well, any pool that you might have gone to in the past, right? You, you ever realize that when you went to the pool and everybody was swimming and you decided to be the cool one and walk by the pool and not get in the water, Right? And then you had some friends who insisted you needed to get wet. And they would grab a hold of you. And they would want to get you into the water. What was the normal response? We all fought. Some of us even got scraped knees and scraped. We didn't want to get wet. It's a hot day, but we don't want to get wet. Because maybe the hair or the makeup or we weren't ready to go into the water, but our friends were insisting. They grabbed a hold of us and wanted us to get wet, wanted us to go and take the plunge. This is so profound in this statement. When I seen this, this came to me because I remember that when, I, when, when, I got a, when they grabbed a hold of me to throw me in the water, I said in my head, I'm going to grab a hold of you. If I'm going, you're going. Hold on to that. Because Paul is saying here, I'm going to grab a hold of that which is grabbing hold of me. And I want you to realize that if you're in Christ, he's got a hold of you. Grab a hold of him. And just know that wherever he's going, you're going to go with him. Wherever he's drawing you to, go with him. Don't resist. Don't pull back. Just let him lead you because he's going to be with you. And I remember that. One of my friends did that and we went in the water together. We both got wet. And we rejoiced. 
But those who struggle always wind up with scrapes, bruises, and attitudes. Why are you trying to get me wet for? And God is saying, I want you to grab a hold of me like I have grabbed a hold of you. We, 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 don't, we don't stray if we grab a hold of him. It's not Christ who lets go of us. It's we who let go of Christ. When he grabs a hold of us, you know, he holds on to us and says, I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to abandon you. I'm going to be with you always. You mean one day, when they don't love me no more, you're going to be with me? Yeah. You mean when I'm ugly, you're going to... Yeah. You know, when I'm alone, I'm really not alone, you're with me. Yeah. He doesn't let go, we let go. We begin to pursue and seek other things. Some of us can't wait long enough for him to do what he needs to do in our lives and we revert back to old behaviors. We go back thinking that it's better over there than it is over here. Paul writes this really profound and he says this so profoundly. He says, I'm going to grab a hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus, when he grabs a hold of you, I got to tell you something. I don't know about you, but he he wrecked my life before he fixed it. You know, he starts shaking you up, you know. You know, like turning you upside down and changes coming out of your pocket, you know. You want to make sure that all, everything, all the lint and everything is out of you. He wants to clean you out. Why? Because he cannot dwell within you with all this junk that's inside of you. And that's why we have to reckon with our past. We have to close the book on our past. We have to turn the page on our past. Listen, 2013 is done. Some of you in the next couple of days will still be writing 2013 on some of your papers. Because in your mind, you have not turned the page. Tell your neighbor, turn the page. There are five lessons I want to touch on that Paul talks about here. The first one is, we all have an imperfect past. None of us can look at our past and see nothing we aren't ashamed of. We all have imperfect past. We all have blemishes and stains that we just assume no one knew about. We just assume and forget. Apostle Paul was no different. There was a persecution of the Christians that he participated in and participated in willingly. He was ashamed of it. In fact, if you read the story of Paul, when he appeared among the other apostles, they trembled and were afraid about what, what is this guy doing here? When he showed up, what is he doing here? You know, he, he was persecuting us not just a year ago. He was persecuting. He was, he was pulling us out. He, was, he took pleasure in bringing Christians back to Rome in chains. Like he really, like, like that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to take people back in chains. If you were a Christian, he shackled a bunch of you. Take us all. Look what I've done. I got papers. I'm doing the right thing. Until Jesus said, you're doing the wrong thing. You're persecuting me. He was a Pharisee. He had the right to do this. But none of us in this place can say that we have not sinned. In fact, it's imperfect because of the presence of sin in our life. It's imperfect because we have chosen our way rather than God's way. This year cannot be that kind of year. I look forward to celebrations. I look forward to anniversaries. I was sharing this with a brother the other day, and I said, man, I, I, sometimes I go to anniversaries, and it's the same thing over and over again. And I don't understand why. I don't understand why if you're experiencing and giving yourself over to service and looking for God and the little things and in the new things and even in recovery as, as you go forward and, and, and you're doing this new thing and you're sober and you're not using and you're actively involved and in what you're supposed to be doing, man, there is this profound newness of life. And you begin to share that, how God is taking you from glory to glory. How God is moving you across this continuum and you might have come in a child, but you're not a child anymore if you've been coming around for a little bit. 
In fact, the Bible is so profound in that statement. But the reason our past is imperfect is because of the presence of sin in our life. And because we have chosen to go our own way. You've you got to grab a hold of that, which is grab a hold of you. You've got to stop wrestling and fighting along the way and saying, I'm going to do my own thing and go my own way. I'm a master of my own ship. I decide what happens in my life. Well, there is a choice. You're going to decide whether heaven and hell is real or whether there's abundant life or living a dream is real or whether you're going to change or not. That's up to you. But I've got to tell you that the people around you after a while will not wait for this change. Time is going to pass you by. I made a joke the other day about those who still have flip-top phones, and someone said, hey, I still have one. And, and I understand that has to do with economics, not necessarily whether your technology challenged or not. But you realize that phones now are on the wrist. I can literally talk on my watch. How things are moving, things are passing us by. And those who are not willing to change are stuck in a rut. Zig Ziglar says that a rut is just a grave with the ends popped out. And it's really profound for us to understand that. Next thing is, next lesson is, we don't have to be a slave to that past. You see, Paul could have uh, cried about there's no hope for me and look what I've done. I put people in prison. I wrote in a death penalty for Christians. There's no hope for me. There's no way I could ever be used by Christ. But he insisted here that he has something worth moving on for and so do you. And this year you have something worth moving on for. He could look back on the fact that Christ redeemed him from his past. And he was continually working in him. And he will work in you. If you let him. God has one goal in mind to make you more like Christ. He wants to peel back the layers of our heart and hearts and our past and everything that has happened. And he wants to fit us with a new garment and kill the fatted calf and and put a ring on us and have this huge celebration on your behalf. Because you were once dead, but you've been redeemed and now you're alive. How can we live the dream if we're not alive to it? I don't know about you, but that's a nightmare to me. I want to live out this dream. I want to be able to allow God to change me. Amen? Amen. So in spite of his past, he was moving on. In fact, he says it this way. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead. Straining indicates that there's going to be moments in your life in which it's not going to be an easy road. So, so for us to, to think that, you know, Christianity is supposed to be this easy walk. In fact, this is a very great uh, um, statement in, in, in C.S. Lewis' book, and it's one of the movies now, Narnia. When, when they ask the, this, this lion if it's safe, is it safe? Christianity isn't safe. In fact, you're supposed to be dangerous if you're a Christian. You're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to do what everybody else is doing. In fact, that's why the world calls us hypocrites, because they know better than some of us do. And in this coming year, we have to realize that I have to turn the page on those kind of things. I got to begin to walk as Christ has called me to walk. I have been redeemed, so I'm going to strain towards what's ahead. Paul was under house arrest. Roman guard hanging all around him all the time. He could have complained, oh, I'm an old man. I guess I'll plot along until they chop my head off. But here's a guy who had an imperfect past, but he had a fruitful ministry because he strained toward that which was before him. It's important for us to understand that this is what he felt. He felt he had a ways to go in his relationship and service for Christ. This is Paul we're talking about, not you, not me. Paul, the greatest evangelist, the greatest church planter of the New Testament, he felt as he had not arrived yet, as if he had not obtained it yet, and he wanted to know more of Christ. He felt he had something to shoot for, something to work for, 
In spite of his circumstances, he still wanted to be strengthened by Christ so that he can do these things. How many people look at their circumstance and decide that it's just not worth trying anymore? Paul could have. He said, I'm just going to chill here and then chop my head off and, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Way too many people have settled for where they currently are. And I got to tell you, if that's you, then 2014 is going to look no different than 2013, 2012, 2011, 2010. And you're going to say, man, where is this abundant life? Where is this dream? Where, where is this change that's supposed to be happening? When we grab a hold of Christ, you change. Third, no matter our current circumstances, we can move on to better and greater things. No matter our current circumstance, we can move on to better and greater things. I'll say that again. should be a whole amen in this place. No matter our current circumstances, we can move on to better and greater things. Paul could have just stayed and retired, like some of us may want to. But he still needed to know Christ better. How many of us in this room want to know Christ better in this coming year? I I want to know Christ better. I want to know Christ better. Whatever the cost, I want to know Christ better. I want to realize that he has grabbed a hold of me and I want to strive towards that. See, Paul realized he needed more of Jesus and he was willing to make the effort to make it happen. Last sermon you heard about living a dream the D stood for decision and how it's important for us to decide how we're going to move forward what decisions are you going to be making so that you can do what Paul is saying here willing to make the effort to make it happen number four lesson we can get out of this is moving on only happens by intentional determined effort I frown upon when I see people still living haphazardly and life is happening to them. It's like as if, you know, the car is coming and they'll stand in the middle of the road and saying, go ahead, hit me, hit me. <laughs> yeah, some of you do that. Because that's the American dream no more. It's not for us to work hard, it's for us to sue somebody. Moving on only happens by intentional Determined effort, and that's why I said there are 8,766 hours in this year. And by the end of today, you would have spent 110. What have you done with those 110? And what would you do with the remainder of the hours in this year? There's a word that doesn't fit real world with learning to live for Christ or to serve him. Is this word convenience. People say, I love convenience. I love only working or praying or studying whenever when it's convenient. Who said anything about living for Christ being convenient? Paul says, I press on, straining toward what is ahead. I press on. That goes against what I think most Christians would think it takes to know Christ and serve him better. This convenience, it's got to be convenient, it's got to fit right. I got I to gotta feel the breeze of the Holy Spirit guide me that way. I, I, I got I I to have confirmation by ten people who are wearing red for me to move in that direction. That's why we need God's word. We need to be obedient to what God is saying in his word. But we need to be sensitive to his leading. We need to be in his word. We need to be on our face and on our knees and asking and seeking counsel of those who are wiser than us. Pastor once preached from this pulpit, you don't ask for marriage advice from someone who's been divorced ten times. You don't ask financial advice from someone who's broke. You just don't. And some of us are still seeking advice, whether it's on our recovery in Christianity and relationships. We're asking advice from people who don't know nothing about it. 
And who greater to teach you than God and in his word. Amen? Amen. Paul was determined to move on from his past and from his present circumstances to gain more of Christ. And then finally the lesson here is the goal is worth the effort. The goal is worth the effort. Paul here calls it a prize, not just a wage or a paycheck. A prize. When you focus on Christ and living for him, you win. You win. When you grab a hold of that which is grab a hold of you, you win. You take the plunge, but you win. I think so many people have a lukewarm relationship with Christ and no desire to live for him because they see the work, but they don't see the prize. Some of us take pictures and we cut them out, right? Cars or houses or places we want a vacation. We put them on the refrigerator and we work hard to get the money so that we can do this. How many of us are like that? How many of us cut out a picture of a car and it says, man, I got to save, save, save. I'm going to work overtime, overtime. I want to get that car. I want to get that house. I want to get that vacation. But when it comes to Christ, we have this lukewarm haphazard, very little effort, at least intentionally. It's like, well, I'm just going to let life happen to me. I'm just going to let it strike me. That's all I'm going to let happen. It's important for us to turn the page. It's important for us to understand that the prize is worth the effort. Paul wanted to move on, and the new year, new year for us gives us a great opportunity to do just that, to turn the page, to move on. The past is where it belongs, and the past is nothing you can do about the past except reconcile with it, reckon with it, close the book on it, and keep it moving. It's why a lot of fans are saying, this year we're going to win the World Series. I will not mention those fans. But that is the hope of a new year, new beginnings, new draft picks, right? A new opportunity to see something new happen. And it's just everybody in this room, you should be feeling that. You should be feeling that opportunity. Man, this is a new year. This is a new beginning for me. There is a vision that this church has put forth. Man, I want to I grab a hold of that so that it can lead me. Fathers, you should be leading your homes. I mean, I want to grab a hold of that, which grab a hold of me. That, that is a compelling picture of the future for me. Like, I don't want you to stop dreaming. I don't want you to, to, to just live life like, oh, I'm just going to let it happen. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Listen to me. Whether you perish or not, the important thing is that you cease every moment, every opportunity to live out for Christ, that he would be at the center of your lives, that he would be at the center of your church. Paul saw this, and it's so important for us to realize these lessons that we just went through. We all have imperfect past, but I refuse to be a slave to that past. And sometimes we get around people who remind us of our past. You have to remind that person, the accuser of the brethren, of his future. You see, any time that Satan rolls up on you, and we haven't called anyone Satan in this place yet, right? I promise not to. We can say, Satan, get thee behind me, <laughs> right? It's so important for us to realize that the enemy is always trying to vie for your attention, to split your loyalty, to divert you in a different path. And if we don't have the word or find ourselves committed to allowing him to live and, and, and just consume us with his presence, then we're going to be led down a path that is not good. Listen to me. It's time for us to get past the lip service and move into life service. Oh, yeah. bah, 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 bah. This is what you're doing. That's what I want you to do. That's what you're doing. That's what I want you to do. It's time for us to stop talking about what we're going to do for Christ and begin to do it.
that we will come under the authority that the church has, that the body has, and says, oh, I just need to talk to God. Oh, yeah, when was the last time he talked to you? Because you're wrong. He did that with Paul. Paul said, I'm right. I'm right. I'm doing the right thing. I'm persecuting Christians. I got letters. I got warrants. I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus said, you're wrong. You're persecuting me. You're going against me. So I want to encourage you to get past lip service to life service. Jesus says that if we love him, we'll obey him. We don't obey him, then we don't really love him. Whatever it takes, man, turn the page, turn the page on lukewarm, mediocre relationship with Christ. It's so important for us to realize that. So important for us to understand that there are things we have to turn the page on, and that's one of them. The first thing we have to turn the page on is just that. Lukewarm relationship with Christ. Strengthen your relationship with Christ. Whatever it takes, turn the page on it. Man, Jesus wants you to be fired up for him. There's a song that they sing about that I will be mistaken for Jesus. That loving him and living for him in every area of our lives. That we will spend time in his word and prayer. I just said 110 hours by the end of today. How many of them have you spent in prayer? How many of them have you spent in God's word? Every year, every Christian should read the Bible at least once. Every year, every Christian. I mean, oh yeah, I read my Bible. No, no, I'm saying from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation. I'm on chapter 7 of Genesis. Because I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing. If you're a Christian 10 years, you should have read the Bible through and through 10 times already, at least, at bare minimum. And you say, man, I don't know if I can do that, man. Luke, warm relationship with Christ. Turn the page this year on that lukewarm relationship. Let him ignite you. Let him set you aflame so that you could bring warmth and light into the areas that you come into. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in his word. Develop that habit. Start today. It's five minutes. You, you've received instructions about using a timer in this church to get started. Simple timer to help you in this process. The next thing you want to turn the page on is unforgiveness. In this coming year, because of our past, some of us have been hurt. Me first. Some of you have been hurt badly. Others have just gotten their feelings hurt a little. You know, the one that get upset because nobody calls you from the church. Pastor didn't call me. My sister looked at me funny. They didn't say hi to me. They didn't let me sing that song. They didn't let me sit in my chair. Holding on to these hurts and refusing to forgive tethers you to your past, keeps you prisoner of your past. Scripture says not to let the sun go down on your anger. Is that right? Some of you have let hundreds and thousands of suns go down on your anger. And there's no reason for it. Anger is a thing that keeps you. Doesn't allow you to flourish. I know what you're saying. You're saying they don't deserve my forgiveness. But let me ask you a question. Does anybody here honestly believe that they have the right to demand forgiveness from God? I hope not. Because you don't have that right. 
you don't have the right neither to withhold forgiveness from others any more than you have the right to demand forgiveness for yourself. Paul wasn't sitting in this house prison saying, oh, those mean old Roman soldiers, I should punish them. I'll get them, that's for sure. In fact, if you read the story of Paul, he kept ministering to them. He kept talking to them about the Lord. In fact, every time a guard unleashed, unshackled himself, and the shift was changing, he says, man, you better get ready for this guy. All he wants to talk about is Jesus. That's all he wants to talk about. He says, Jesus, I don't know. Click, click, that's it. Can I talk to you about my Lord? Oh, next shift. Yo, this guy just wants to talk about Jesus. So here, he wasn't bitter about the situation. He was very unforgiving. In fact, the writer of Philippians says to be joy. To have joy, to rejoice in all things. You can't do that if you're still holding on to anger and unforgiveness. You have to realize that those things keep you from moving forward in this year. Guys, you've got to let go. You've got to close the book on what has happened. You've got to forgive those people that have hurt you. We all in this room have been hurt. And one way or another, we've been hurt. And can I just let you in on something? You will be hurt this year too. If you're living for Christ, you will be hurt. But keeping short accounts and, and allowing those things not to fester in your heart and not to, to hinder what God wants to do for you and through you is so essential as you grow in Christ. Amen? Amen. It says, don't let bitterness and unforgiveness take root in your heart or rot your soul. They say bitterness is like pus in your heart. And soul, and who wants that stuff churning up inside them? Nobody does. When you choose to forgive, when you choose to drop the grudge, you are set free. I know what you're saying. You say, man, I don't know if I can do this. Well, you're absolutely right. This is where we cry out to God to help us. To help us. In this coming year, we need to cry out to God in those areas in our lives that we can't do it ourselves. Listen, it, listen to me. If your prayers are prayers that you can answer, stop praying them. That's it. If your prayers are prayers that you can answer, then stop praying them. Your prayers should be bold. They should be, God, if you don't do this, I don't know what's going to happen. There's got to be a sense of desperation to your prayer. And if God doesn't show up, God, I can't forgive this person. They hurt me and they keep hurting me. And God is saying, I hear you. I see it. But just give it to me. Turn it over to me. And just so you know, your prayer shouldn't be, God, hurry up and punish them. <laughs> that this shouldn't be your prayer. That wasn't Paul's prayer. They asked him for strength. Forgive just as Christ had forgiven them. Bitterness is a chain on your soul. Break the chain by asking God to help you turn the page on your unforgiveness. Next is turn the page on that sin. Woo. Turn the page on that destructive behavior. What do I mean by that? I think that in many, if not most people, there is something that we still struggle with. And maybe we've even given up on conquering. We just say, I guess that's just how I am. You ever heard that? So we give up. I don't know what to do. I want you to turn the page on that sin, and, and it may be lying. Maybe you're a liar. Say, oh, not in this church. I'm... No? Un poquito. Maybe it's gossiping. No, not in this church. Maybe it's breaking confidence. Oh, no, not in this church. Maybe it's looking at that inappropriate material on the Internet or TV, or the DVDs that are still stashed under your bed. Or in the cabinet, behind the pancake mix. (laughs) 
nervous laughter goes throughout the whole room. <laughs> or maybe it's letting your eyes linger on another woman. Jesus calls that adultery, by the way. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's just plain laziness. Not taking responsibility works under your care. Works under your care. That you're being kind of haphazard and lazy with. For those who are in this room and you're in ministry, works under your care. That you're showing very little responsibility for. What is it that God has placed in your care? So turn the page on that sin. Maybe it's pride. Nope, not in this church. This is the most humble church in the universe. Really? Somebody said, really? It's something to strive for. Amen? Whatever it is, you can start with this year to make it a thing of the past. You don't have to be captive to it any longer. Whatever it is, as I said earlier, I'm leading you towards communion. An opportunity, and I share, I share with you a concern of mine, if you have not or feel like you don't want to partake in communion today, there's a reason why. Maybe it's this unforgiveness. Maybe it's this destructive behavior. Maybe there's something that you're holding on to and you refuse or you've given up on it and you're saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm saying, don't allow that to happen. You don't have to be captive to it. Instead, we could be slaves to righteousness. So turn the page on that destructive behavior. The one I'm going to talk about now, turning the page on, is the one that most people will be bothered by. It's turning the page on handling God's money your way. This is about the time where you shut yourself off. And you say, I don't want to hear about money. But you realize that Jesus talks more about money in Scripture than he does about heaven and hell. Because he understands something about it. See, we hold on tightly to it. It hangs on to us. That which we cry out to possess eventually possesses us. It's very easy for us to say it's mine to do what I want with it, when I want, how I want it, but it's not yours. The provision of God in our lives is for us to be stewards of it, to utilize it and leverage it for kingdom impact. And you say, well, I don't know about that. You know, my landlord, I don't know if I can preach that sermon to my landlord. This is why it's so important that on January 25th you show up for that financial workshop. We're going to help you realize where your money is coming in and how's it going out. You know that I used to spend, and I don't anymore, I've repented, over $180 a month on chocolate. Chocolate. Long time ago, as I went through this financial freedom, I sat down and they asked you to do this tally and where the money comes and where's it going off. And I realized, man, that Kit Kat and Mars and Snickers were getting my money. And it's because I love chocolate so much that I wanted to be able to continue to eat it. (laughs) When I began to realize that I'm supposed to be a steward of God's money, it helped me and it freed me up. So I was able to turn the page on that and begin to honor God. In fact, people ask me now, what can we get you? Chocolate. (laughs) So understand, it's not your money to begin with. Everything you have in terms of money or the ability to earn it is a gift from God. Whatever gift you have, whatever talent you have, whatever ability you have, whatever job you have, wherever you are, God has made it possible. It is his. And if we listen to what he says about how to handle it, it'll go further than it's ever gone before. We'll have more peace about it, whether we have a little or a lot. It's so important. You don't have to take my word for it, but at least take God's word for it. So I encourage you to be part of that and sign up for that as well. It's so important for us to realize that. Amen? Amen. And lastly, turn the page on mediocrity. 
Oh, man. It seems that mediocrity is a default position of life. Like, listen to me. Why settle for mediocrity when greatness is within your loins? Why settle? And it was so profound to hear the pastor stand before you and say, listen, everyone here is a 10. Why are you playing at a 6? Why are you playing at a 6 when you're a 10? For some of you, you're scared of greatness. You sabotage success. You, you, you get a bunch of, of clean time and then all of a sudden you throw it away. And I'm saying, stop settling for mediocrity. Anybody can be mediocre. And most people are, especially when it comes to living for Christ. Everybody wants to do the bare minimum. Show up when they want to show up. Leave when they want to leave. Do as little as they possibly can. Yet, enjoy maximum results. Man, I want my marriage to be better. But I won't go to marriage counseling. I won't take a marriage. I won't read a marriage book. I won't come to a, to a men's workshop so I can learn how to, you know, maximize my manhood and, and be better in my home. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to follow the, the, the model set by my dad. Man, if I followed that, I wouldn't have my family in the front row. My wife would have cut me loose a long time ago. I wouldn't enjoy my children because his model didn't even work for him. How's it going to work for me? So it's important for us to realize people settle for mediocrity, especially in living for Christ. Excellence, on the other hand, is rarely achieved without intentional effort. Can that be the cry of our hawks this year? I'm going to try to do everything in excellence. In fact, they said that about Jesus in Mark 7.37. They said, man, he does everything excellently. I guess excellence in what Christ does. Everything he does, it's excellent. So I want to suggest a couple of things. One us, one of these things is begin to strive in excellence with a relationship with one another. Think better of others than yourself. Begin to live out that way. Don't let this year pass by with the same old, same old. Hey, how you doing? Same old, same old. Why? There's a new song to be sung. <laughs> there are new places to venture. There are new opportunities before you. God is about a new beginning. But we have to turn the page. Tell your neighbor, turn the page. Let's turn the page these years on these things in our lives that have just been mentioned. It's really, really important. Listen, we've all made mistakes. We're going to watch a video now before we take communion. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to turn the page.